Stockholm is a state of mind. We talking about the culture, so come and feel the vibe. You gon' have a good time. We helping you to see it. So much to do when living in Stockholm, Sweden. Yeah, yeah, let's go. Stockholm is a state of mind. Hey, Stockholm is a state of mind. Yeah, we break it down like this and like that. Welcome to the podcast. Stockholm is where it's at. Hey, 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 Julia. Do you hey. hear me? Do you hear me? Do you hear I me? I sure do. <laughs> We're having mic moments. <laughs> yes. My name is Elizabeth. And you are? Well, she already said it. She spoiled it, folks. My name is Julia. And uh, what, do, what kind of podcast is this? Well, it's called Stockholm is a State of Minds. And it is a podcast about career, community, and culture for an international community in Stockholm and in Sweden. Yes. Welcome, everybody. So when we say the word Stockholm, I would say that... The first thing that comes to mind, at least for me, someone who's not from Sweden, is Stockholm Syndrome. Oh. Sorry. That was an awful week in Sweden. Please tell me about it. I could... The last week in August 1973. 73. Seven. We all speak bad English. Julia speak bad Swedish. We all, all the people here it speak It evens out. Okay. Yeah. So 1973, the last week in August... Oh, that was a crazy week because the old king, the grandfather to this king we have now, he was dying during that week. And we had two TV channels in Sweden. So they sent from the Norman's toy place where the Stockholm Syndrome word came from. It was a huge bank robbery and everything was crazy. And (sighs) the other channel sent from the home of the king. Not the castle in Stockholm. He was somewhere down in Skåne. In the southern part of Sweden. There's too much to... So it was yeah. for 24 hours every day. It's almost like the news today. <laughs> it is. <laughs> they hadn't Instagram or Twitter or yeah. anything at that time. We so. had a taste of it then. Yes. yes. It was a bit of, hey, here's something crazy going on in every channel. True. Yeah. But I have invited a guest for us. It's a guy. A guy. Is a researcher. From Stockholm University. He's also a guy, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher Carlson. Yes. He's a, he's a researcher in criminology, and he knows a lot more uh, than me about the Stockholm Syndrome and what happened. And I'll be honest, I think we are all true crime junkies, we whether are. we like to admit it or not. So, folks, if you are interested in the nitty-gritty about Stockholm Syndrome and about Nordic Noir and true crime here in Scandinavia. Stay in touch. Mm-hmm. So welcome, Christopher Karlsson. Hello, thank from you. From Stockholm University, you're a researcher and criminologist. Yes. Correct. And yes. you're also an author. Yes. And you have, you are so young. And how, what happened with your career? How did you do it so fast? Because you also, I know you, I've seen you on a TV show called Veckans Brott in public service TV, SVT. Mm-hmm. So you have rushed through your career. Tell us. Uh well first of all I'm not that young anymore like I'm I'm thirty <laughs> wait I'm thirty six uh that's young that's young yeah yeah maybe it is uh depends on what you compare it to I guess but yeah compared to me compared to you yeah. how old are you I'm sixty one sixty one okay well yeah I'm younger yeah <laughs> anyway <laughs> sorry I'm sitting over here being thirty four yeah I'm yeah. like yeah that is really young anyway yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, on paper it looks like I've done a lot. But then again, everything I've done is on paper, mm. so I haven't done 
much else. You know, I, I, I haven't traveled to you know Eastern Asia looking for my uh, soul or anything. I, I, I stayed put and just did stuff. This has nothing to do with criminology, but if I may, for our listeners, this is a classic example of Swedes being way, way too modest. <laughs> when you tell them how great they are, they go, you're wrong, and here's why. <laughs> well, well that, yeah, I mean, modest, modesty is in, you know, I come from the countryside. I'm not, I'm not from Stockholm originally. I come from a really small place on the western outskirts of, of Sweden. What's the name of the place? Uh, so the place of the village is Marbeck. Mar- uh, shake with- it up on the Swedish map. Yeah, it's clear. But there, you know, there are actually more than one Marbeck. I think there are like I don't know three or four. Um, mine is the one that is close to Halmstad. The reason, mm. the reason there's there are several. I, I just recently learned this. So the the phrase "mar" is a really old phrase. Um, it's I think it's from the Latin or maybe the Greek originally. Mar. Yeah, maybe lake. Ex- mar. There you go. Yeah, it's signaling. Um, uh, like a limit, mm. a demarcation oh, line. Yeah. So, so, um, and, and typically back in the olden days, uh, a village or a place was was usually demarcated by water. So basically, Marbeck is a place on the outskirt, close to a demarcation line, this and is... and that's why you know I think there are several because there are several spots like that, and yes. they just well let's call it Marbeck because that's what it is, right? This is a very good bonus material for our listeners. Yeah. And you as I am the geographer, and you are the <laughs> criminologist, yeah. so thank you no, no. for giving me that You're thing. Welcome. I didn't know that, so but that was nice to hear. Th- I, I I think this is true because I learned this from a person who really sounded like he knew what he was talking <laughs> about. So I think it's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, but uh, but so I I came from there, and there was this very. I grew up with this very. Uh, you know, this typical down-to-earth, don't make any fuss, you're not special, uh, tons of maxims and principles about how to live an honest life, how Jant to live a good life. Well, not necessarily what we call jantelagen either, but just this very plain, you know... Down-to-earth. Uh, down-to-earth down maxim about, you know, what's a good life? A good life is doing your job, taking care of the people you love, uh, you know, mowing your lawn, being nice to your neighbors, you know, nothing fancy about life. Salt so, of the earth, as we might say. Yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah. Is yeah, that why yeah. you became interested in crime? Um, that's a good question. Partly, I think, because um, I grew up, you know, violence and, and, and crime was always, you know, a Midsummer's Eve where I grew up, people dancing, uh, drinking, having fun. Violence was always just out of frame. Like it was there, but as a kid you didn't really see it. But there was always somebody starting to fight. There was always a fight, usually over a girl Mm. uh, or something. And and so it was just always there. And as I grew up, I sort of started to think about that. Like, what what is that? Why why is it always the same people? (laughs) You know? Why is it always the same people? Why is it always the same girl? Um... What makes some people different from others, and um, you know, am I different? Like I was a good kid, but but inevitably, I think when you look at yourself and you see so many similarities uh, to yourself and the people around you, you start to wonder about those things. Like, well, who am I? And and uh, yeah, and criminology at the time just seemed to me a, a good, you know, good space to explore that. Uh, I was. 18 at the time so I wasn't I wasn't that young when I you know 
one thing about it too was that as I grew up, I really wanted to leave the place where I had grown up. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. <laughs> I wanted to get the hell as out of there. As far as you could. Yeah. That sounds as familiar. Soon as you yeah, could. yeah. So I went to a student counselor at my high school, and and she said, um, "So what are you interested in?" And I and I said these things, and I said, "Yeah, you know, right and wrong. What am I obliged to do? What are others, you know, obliged to do to me? How do we treat each other? Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, cops and robbers, you know, things like that." And she said, well, criminology sounds like it could be a good fit for you, for starters. Uh, and I said, okay, where can I study that? Because I hadn't heard of that before. And she said, well, you can study it in a number of places. This was in 2004. But the only department in the country is in Stockholm. I said, brilliant, brilliant. Okay, I go there. I take <laughs> get it. me out I of take here. It. I'm going. <laughs> yeah, because that get that would get me out of it. Because you know you couldn't. Because I was writing at the time. Like yeah. I, I was an aspiring, not aspiring writer, but I, but I, I knew I wanted to write. But I also knew that I could never tell my working class, you know, decent parents that, <laughs> okay, so this is the deal. Come, come August, I'm getting the hell out of here, going to Stockholm, going to deep dive into, you know, the, the cultural world of Stockholm, you know. And I could just picture them seeing, you know, lines of coke being snorted from <laughs> thighs and, uh, you know, as, as they quote Sartre or something. Yeah. Um, so I, I realized, like, I... I I didn't intend to to get involved in that part of it, but you know, I I knew that that part was there, and so I knew I had to I had to have an alibi to get get out, you know. And criminology seemed a good fit, and then it just happened to be a very good fit too. Like I I enjoyed doing criminology from day one, and I still do. Good. Yeah. Talking about Stockholm, I tried to explain for Julia the expression the Stockholm syndrome. Oh yeah. I think you do it better than I do. I'm not sure. What did you tell her? <laughs> I tell her mostly about the TV shows about. Oh yeah. You know. <laughs> okay. Well, there is another way to come and, at it. I yeah, think. Yeah. And the robbery with Clark Olofsson. But tell her the story and the expression and why we use it. And okay. So 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 the 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 basis of the story uh, and for the listeners perhaps um, it's it's August 1973. Uh, there's a bank at Norman's Tory, which is just a few blocks from where we are right now. And there's a guy, uh, it's like, I think it's 10 in the morning or something. He enters the bank uh, and uh, it's called Credit Bank and the Credit Bank in Stockholm at the time. And he um, uh, his plan is to rob the bank and he takes four hostages, three women. Uh, yeah, three women and a guy. And this, of course, becomes because this doesn't really end. It doesn't end. He takes a hostage um, and he has demands. He wants uh, money. He wants a fast car to get out of there. And he wants two guns. <laughs> <laughs> two, two guns. Just yeah, because he's, yeah, he's, armed, he's <laughs> armed with what we call a co-opist. Uh, the name, um, uh, sort of like an Uzi. Yeah. Okay. An Uzi. I am American, but I don't know too much about guns. Sorry. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm not that kind of American. We but have, yeah, we are for that. It's understandable. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I just assume. <laughs> no, I just assume every He's American like, you know knows which guns. One. Yeah. yeah. For yeah. the listeners, the one you have in your closet. and looked at Julia when he, he was sure talking did. about guns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm used to that. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, it comes with the American. You know, it's the, I'm it's the stigma. I'm not sorry. Not even close to offended by that. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Anyway, um, yeah, because he wants two guns uh, because they're easier to carry with you. Uh, when you're running away, than this big, big, big rifle-esque automatic weapon he has with him, um, and he also wants the most notorious criminal in the country, Clark Olofsson, who is by the time he's he is imprisoned at uh, in Norrköping, Norrköpingsanstalten, which is like I don't know, twelve. 
12 Swedish miles from from here. Um, he wants him to come to the bank. And the police obliges this part of his demands. So Clark Olsen gets to the bank. And then something starts to happen. This hostage situation takes, uh, I think it's four or five days. It just drags on. They want the money. The cops want the uh, robbers to give up, want the hostage to come out safely. And as these long hours, I mean, imagine the hours. Yeah. It's mm. so long. Four or five days? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It just goes oh on God. and on. And, you know, the prime minister, this is Palme. Yeah. Palme yeah. gets involved in this, you know. Uh, uh, when 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 Clark Olofsson needs to get out of prison or, or, or they say, well, okay, so we'll send him to you. That is a decision that has to be, um, you know, that that has to be granted by uh, Minister of Justice, which is who is Lennart Jäger at the time, a very famous Swedish uh, Minister of Justice, and the Prime Minister himself, which wow. is Palme. Um, so so this is like a big deal. Yeah, and it just covers the news. And inside the bank, something is happening, and nobody really knows. There's been tons of accounts through the years, but they're somewhat conflicting. So nobody really knows. Yeah, but what starts to happen is the hostages start to sympathize or be on the side of their captors. So the captives sympathize with, with the captors. Yeah. Um, and this, is, this has later been called the Stockholm Syndrome. Um, and essentially, it's a contested term, but essentially what, what, how, how it's like formally defined, it has a, a certain set of criteria. The first one is this thing of emotion, like uh, the, the the hostages or, or the, the victim, let's say the victim, experiences positive emotions toward their perpetrator. The second one, uh, certain criteria, is that these people are to have no previous relationship. So this bond emerges through this direct situational interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third criterion is that the victims tend to be re- resisting authorities so they don't they're not cooperative like they don't want to they don't want to cooperate with with police or, or other authorities uh and the fourth one is uh let's see if i remember it now and the fourth one is there's a fourth criterion yeah yeah we can come back to that one second yeah. i i, okay. I it's okay. i'll remember it shortly You know, the Stockholm syndrome is so ingrained in your head as a criminologist, <laughs> so you don't even have to you don't even have to practice or or, or look. It's up. like a test from your first term. <laughs> yeah, like, wait, sort what is it? <laughs> yeah, sort of. Wait, there is a hold, hold, Let me double no, check. No, yeah, please do. Yeah, let me double check. We it. can also edit. It's, some it's stuff not out. really. It's uh, not really. Um, I'm, I'm gonna. Well, um, yeah, yeah. Right. 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 So, so the fourth criteria, the fourth criterion is sort of it comes from. I think that's why I didn't think of it. Um, what it is is the victim sees. Uh, sort of like the the humanity or the um, in values mm-hmm. they identify with them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they they share the same worldview as mm-hmm. their captor, mm-hmm. which sort of stems from the previous three. Of course, right? they all want to survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, so that's basically the Stockholm syndrome, yeah. and and the reason it sort of it takes off a little is because this event, of course, um, um, is super well known and, and analyzed thoroughly. And at the time in Sweden, there is a very, very, very famous 
let, you can call him psychiatrist or or or, or uh, um, like a criminal policymaker. His name is Niels Beyerut, mm. and he is the one who actually uh, names it the yeah. Stockholm syndrome. And I think it's an interesting term because what it does is it captures a certain dynamic, which can be found, allegedly found. In in many circumstances, like uh, sexual abuse, human trafficking, uh, extremism, you know, this dynamic, um, it, it's not, it, it's sort of discovered through through the Normam stories situation, yeah, yeah. but it's been there all along the whole time, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that's why it sort of takes off with the Stockholm with the Normam story yeah. situation, but it is contested. Um, some, like for example, you know. Me coming at it from a researcher's point of view, it's sort of tricky to analyze and study because the number of cases we can look at, uh, it, it's so low. Okay. Um, so, so any any analysis would sort of be devoid of statistical power, mm. and you also need access to a depth of data. Like you can't go through to to the regular records. You it's know. a shallow pool. Yeah, yeah you is. can't say this happens in every case because exactly. there aren't enough cases. To exactly. Say that. Yeah. Exactly. And and you know, as a researcher, we're usually restricted to to what data is available to yeah. us, crime records or maybe other official records. And to capture this, you know, very psychological, uh, qualitative dynamic, uh, like what indicator would you use? There, you know, there is no, um, there is no variable in Swedish criminal statistics that say, you know, victim's perception of uh, abuser. Let's say, good or bad, you know, <laughs> on a scale from one to five. How you would know, you rate your yeah, kidnapper? We <laughs> see, we don't see that. We don't have that data set. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so. Even though there are many cases of kidnappings and abuse throughout the world, um, from a scientist's point of view, it's really difficult to, to study that element of yeah, it. Yeah, it's inherently the, qualitative. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So the studies that exist are sort of qualitative. They're, they're uh, close readings of interviews or journals or, or, or that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Even some of these people have written, you know, biographies, autobiographies about their experiences and things. Um, but usually... Uh, I mean, one way of looking at the Stockholm syndrome is to look at it as uh, a more general kind of trauma bonding. Trauma bonding is is a psychological term or psych psychiatric oh, trauma term. Trauma bonding. Yeah. Trauma bonding, which is that's you know, what I have with Julia. I have a trauma <laughs> bonding with her. I, 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 I I'm really forcing hope... her to sing all the time. <laughs> okay. She doesn't want to. And you know, this the the, the most um, the most classical example of this is um, you know, I really don't hope. I hope you don't have trauma bonding. <laughs> I, I, would, I would have to alert someone. Okay. Uh, no, but um, you know, in, in abusive relationships, for example, where uh. where where typically the man mm. uh, shifts between warmth mm. and cold, yeah, uh, you know, being caring and being violent, mm. and that, then the woman stays in the yes, partnership. because that 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 sort of that um, it creates this very unequal power bond mm. uh, resulting from, you know, trauma. And also, you know, you feel very, very alone. And the only one you have next to you is that person who can also show incredible warmth. Mm. 
And you can sort of imagine that going on in that bank, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, it's the only person that they have that's sort of leading the way, if you, yeah. you could say. They're the ones who are in charge, even though they're inherently the ones who are in the wrong. Yeah. yeah. He's a good storyteller. Uh, do you know more about the Stockholm Syndrome now, Julia? Well, it's funny because one of the first things that we talked about in this, <laughs> when we mentioned Stockholm Syndrome, the first thing that I brought up, um, uh, it's a little less serious, but it's the Disney film Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. And that it's sort of a joke in that that's not a very romantic story. What in fact that is is Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. And I was worried to make that joke because as an outsider coming in here, that th- it's something that is, you know, a collective trauma or at least something that is remembered among society as not yeah. something great. And I wondered, is am I allowed to make this joke? Oh, yeah. Can I say that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know, but oh, but yeah. also you wonder, what is yeah, the Swedish yeah. sense of humor around something like that? Or at least the Swedish way of approaching it. Is there a way to have a sense of humor about something that was so all-encompassing? Something yeah, that most is, of the people yeah. are staying alive, aren't they? Yeah. The, uh, yeah, I think they are, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. Jan Olsson, the, the, his, his name is quite well known. Yeah. Jan Olsson was the name of the robber. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's alive. Uh, I think he... He actually, he, he is a very interesting fellow because, you know, st- statistics statistics would say that he will recidivate, like he will do crime again. Mm. But as far as we know, he actually didn't. Really? No. So, and, and I think in the mid-90s, he moved to Thailand. Mm. And then, of course, you have Clark Olofsson, um, notorious, you know, you know, there was recently a Netflix movie, oh, TV wow. series yeah, about him the... called Clark. You oh, know? yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah. So, so so they're very interesting figures in that regard. Uh and also yeah, no, I think you, you you're allowed to it has a very it has very deep dark serious undertones of course yeah. if you connect it to trauma and abusive relationships. But yeah, I mean, hasn't Beauty and the Beast been analyzed just in that way? I'm sure. I think it yeah. has. You have to check listeners, shake it up. Yeah. Please do. You know, it's it's like the it's like the the Sting song, right? Uh, every every uh, oh, breath every you breath take, you take uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is oh, what a beautiful you love don't song. Listen to it, yeah. And then and it's, it's like, like Jesus, that's horrifying. He's, yeah. he's, he's stalking her. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He's, he's super abusive and really really scary. That's so much of what you just said is that there is a fine line between what people consider to be a protectiveness or yeah. being able to understand someone and the the reward that you get from understanding someone who you consider to be misunderstood. Is there a reward there if it's inherently bad for you? Yeah. That sort of thing. And have people, I just want to bring you back to Sweden and yes, Stockholm. Sorry. Did, right. did Stockholm Syndrome inspire you to write like criminal novels or No, no, it didn't. Like like I mean the Stockholm Syndrome um No, no, I can't say it did. It, it, it I was inspired by or I was driven by other factors. But of course, um it is an interesting study. This specific case of it, it is an interesting study in in human interaction and 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 you know the, the dynamics that goes on between people when when they are under extreme pressure. You know because that's what they were during those days in the bank. And you're writing about Sweden in your books, yeah, and the life outside Stockholm most of the time. Or yeah. they're connected to Stockholm in one way, or well, I, I wrote a series of police procedurals, which was mainly Stockholm-based. Mm-hmm. Like it even had a suburb of Stockholm in, in the title, in one of the titles, mm-hmm. uh, "The Invisible Man from Salem," is one of them. But I wrote those a few years ago, and then I felt sort of done with writing about Stockholm and writing about you know the typical cops and robbers story like i was i was i was you know i was brought up on on crime novels crime fiction that's what i read and 
I decided to write a series of books sort of devoted to that genre, like, you know, paying my my thanks to uh, people like Håkan Nesser and, uh, you know, Henning Mankel, Sjöval Wahler, all of those great giants. Mm. But then I sort of moved away from that and also moved back to, well, the place I came from, Marbeck, which is all I've been writing about for the last, I don't know, Jesus, five years now. Yeah. Yeah. For people that are not Swedish readers or Swedish speakers, yeah, uh, are they translated to English? Your books? Oh yeah, yeah, okay, so, yeah. So so those pr- police procedurals are uh, available in English, and also and, and the two latest ones, they're called uh, "Blaze Me a Sun." Uh, that one is out January. It's, it's like commercial now, but it's a, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's out it's out in January in in the U.S. and Under the Storm is another one. It's out I think like next ja- like January 2024 or something. Okay. You can do commercial because there's a lot of listeners yes. that are moving into Sweden or love Swedish lifestyles or want to move here or newcomers in Sweden. They need to know what kind of authors we have and yeah. what kind of books. Yeah, are. So that's yeah. Okay. And, and I, I I gotta tell you I gotta I, I, I'm I'm so there's one thing about Blaze Me a Sun that I'm so proud proud of. Um, Best novel I, I read last year was a novel called *The Promise* by Damon Galgot. It, it won the Booker. Fantastic novel! It's like hands down best novel I've read in years. Like it's so good, it's unbelievably good. The audio book uh, of *The Promise* was narrated by a guy named Peter Noble, and he reads it so good. Like mm. he's one of my favorite narrators. Oh, good uh, for you that he was the yeah, reader for this book. Yeah, and he is the one. Who is now narrating Blaze Me a Sun? Ah. So, so Peter Noble is actually reading my wow. book, which is wow. to, like it, he did. He, you know, in the U.S. You're so serious in the U.S. Like you, <laughs> he had to make an audition. And really? They, yeah. They, so they sent me three, uh, you know, three candidates, and one of those Peter Noble. Mm. And you said yes. Yeah, and he he read it. I mean, it was just you know, it was magnificent. So I'm, so I'm so happy about that. Yeah, wow. it's so it's so cool. And also, everybody should check out uh, Peter Peter uh, Damon Galgot's The Promise because yeah. it's like greatest novel you'll read in a long but time. But how do he pronounce the Swedish names? Um? Uh, so so that, that's so funny. So, so what what they did was they actually sent me a list mm-hmm. with every Swedish uh, phrase or, or place or name that is used, and uh, I did a voice memo. Where I went, went you know, Marbeck. Ah, okay. Vidar Jörgensson. Ah. Sven Jörgensson. Where I, I was just like, you know, yeah, repeating list, the yeah, words the cast, yeah. As yeah. a voiceover artist myself, that is a gift. That is very nice. Thank you for <laughs> oh, that. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. We'll talk, well, talk yeah. about that later. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's, it's just interesting that uh, you're... Obviously, you have this background in research. You focused a bit more in terms of your novels on where you're from and not necessarily from Stockholm. What made you make the pivot back to um, writing about where you're from? What, what, was that a personal choice or did you think that it was more interesting for the narrative? What, what, what made you pivot back to that after studying in Stockholm? Well, I, I had been... I come really far from where I grew up. I felt both, you know, I mean, okay, so Stockholm is just like five hours away, but it feels quite far away. Uh, or I mean, Halmstad is just far, five hours yeah. away from, from, from Stockholm, but, um, and Marbeck too, like it's not far, but it's still, it feels far. It's, yeah. it, it's a great distance in mind. Uh, and then I turned, and you know, when I was 26, 27, I just, I, this was the best place in the world to live, like Stockholm. I couldn't imagine living anywhere else. 
that turned 30. <laughs> and, When you grow old. You know, my, my childhood home, which has always been one of life's constants, you know, I, I had recently learned, like I had gotten divorced, I had gotten a kid, I, I, I'd gone through many changes and I realized that, you know, life doesn't really have many constants, but that house had been one of them and that place was one of them, probably the only one. And then my parents decided to sell it the the home they were like yeah we're getting old like we, I don't want to mow the lawn anymore I'm I'm tired <laughs> you know fair. my back aches my dad was a car mechanic for all of his you know working life so his his back sort of yeah he's done with he's the done. whole yeah. mowing lawns thing he's really done yeah uh so and and then you know as that place was slipping away from me I started to think about maybe 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 I could write that place back to me uh to sort of keep it. And, you know, being, uh, you know, in the trade of crime fiction, I was like, well, what would have happened if something really bad had happened? You know, th thankfully, nothing ever did. People fought and, and somebody got hurt uh, once and then once and ever, you know, somebody died, but not from violence, but from old age or accidents. But like, what would have happened if something really bad had happened there? And that's sort of, I sort of started thinking about that. Like, what would that have been like for me? Say I'd been eight years old. Uh, at the time, yeah. So I just started thinking about those things, and when I started to write about the place I came from, it was just I just found this voice in me that I that I didn't know I had. It felt different from from when I wrote about Stockholm, but it also felt like it came from a place inside of me that was deeper down, more personal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Like yeah, like I was calling up something that I had in me, and I just, I yeah, I just immediately felt like I struck gold. <laughs> <laughs> But it also, I think, is a very interesting dichotomy in that you have this, um, not to give too much away from Blaze Me a Sun, but you have a, a not to use the word again, but a dichotomy you, between personal. Uh, we were talking about it just yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, it's, oh. we, yeah. Oh, <laughs> we wow, do our cool. research, sir. Wow, yes. cool. <laughs> But in Thank that, there's, uh, there's a personal tragedy but it plays out against a national tragedy yeah. and it's in, it's interesting that you go back to something so personal for you to have as the basis of where you write these crimes uh, these crime novels and so talking about you know i was worried about making jokes about stockholm syndrome is it going to be too personal to people there's almost something about how widespread the knowledge is of that and how sharing the trauma makes it less Uh, impactful makes it less personally impactful, yeah. but having something personal seems much more. Um, uh, it's more painful. It's more. There's more to unpack there, and so you have this dichotomy between personal tragedy and national tragedy. Yeah. And was that deliberate in oh, wanting yeah. to have something personal and then have something that everyone was experiencing? Oh, yeah. 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 So, so I had been thinking about um, because you know the the last great tragedy that I managed to sort of avoid was the killing of the prime minister. In, yes, in and that is, I should I should clarify for our listeners as well, that is the national tragedy to which I'm uh, referring, the uh, assassination of Olof Palma, yeah. Yeah. prime minister of Sweden. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that was the last great tragedy I managed to avoid. Um, but as a criminologist and, you know, as a citizen and as a writer, you If you want to understand Sweden today, I don't think you can understand it if you don't consider what happened after the killing of Palme. That's it's, true. It's, it's, true. it's, it's I, I, so... I, yeah. Yeah, I, I understand you. That's what I feel too. Yeah, it's so fundamental. It is. And I had been thinking about, you know, how do you how do you approach that as a writer? Because what I, what I 
started to realize as I as I studied Palmer and and the killing and, and his life was that you know maybe it wasn't maybe it wasn't the killing that changed us uh, it would have changed us too like but we could have healed probably if you look at the uh, news clippings from eighty six even eighty seven. There's still hope, you know. People are still, they're going th- mm. through trauma, but they're still trying to cope and heal and g- move on. Um, maybe what, 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 what changed us so fundamentally was the fact that the criminal investigation just, it never ended. Mm. Like, we, you know. And that's really interesting because I think it says something about who we are. Like, it's not that we can't cope with, you know, immense trauma as a nation, but that... You know, just like you need closure in a relationship or, or you know, in mourning, you need a kind of closure to be able to move on. Yeah, and it's that's, over. So let's yeah, start from... Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, need, you, need, you need to find out the facts yeah. of, of what happened. Uh, and that was the task of the criminal investigation. And yeah. when, it, when that just didn't go anywhere, it just never healed. Yeah. And so, okay, so how do you write about that? And I thought, well, so much good has been written about Palmer, you know, um, my way of approaching it was, well, if I make, you know, I come from a small place, but that was Sweden to me. That was Sweden. So so if I make the nation a flesh and blood character and I have something happen to him that happened to the nation. So he gets struck, a police officer in, in, in the place where I grew up, he gets struck um, by this fact that on the same night of the killing of the prime minister, something happens in his city, mm. and he's, you know, tasked with the. And he had to cope with that mm-hmm. instead of yeah. looking at the big trauma. Yeah. And, this and and in this Sweden. and this thing too refuses to show its true face. Like what happened? Who's the culprit? Mm. Um, so the, the you know the the way the killing of Palme ate Sweden, this you know small in quotation marks yeah. killing eats my main character. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the way I could sort of move from the macro to the micro yeah. or from the, you know, social to the personal, if you will. Yeah. Uh, that was the way I, th- th- you know, that's when, when, when I cracked that, it, it, the writer in me awoke. It's like, yeah, I can write, yeah. I can write that. Oh, that's great I can write story. That. Absolutely. Uh, so as you're a criminologist working with crimes, murders, sadness, sorrow, yeah. crazy things, I have... Now, three questions for you. Three quick questions. She's getting better and better at it. We asked three quick questions. The first one is, where is your happy place? Uh, At my car dealer. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah. Please elaborate. Yeah. But it was quick questions. Well, it's not quick answers. Okay, okay, I see. You may answer however you'd like, and I would like a little Uh, more clarification. So I grew up basically uh, in a a repair shop for cars because my dad was a car mechanic. And and I grew up with cars, around cars, the smell of cars. I love the smell of gasoline. I love the smell of of rubber from, from tires. Um, it was just my happy place when I was a kid. Like I love, I st- to this day, I love cars. Uh, yeah. So, so my happy place is when I'm when I go to my my car dealer. Yeah, I, c- I could just walk there for hours. I'm just I'm in Zen when I'm there. You know, just just you know, walking around all of these beautiful cars that yeah. are soon to be, you know, someone's. Uh, 
key to seeing the girl they like, or yeah, you know, it's freedom. Yeah, making your way mm-hmm. to your granny who's about to pass away of age.、Mm. Uh, you know, you you walk among lifesavers. And, and the key to to life's great moments in many regards, like somebody will take this car to a wedding to get married. Somebody will take this car to another wedding to crash it. Oh my、know? God! Oh, it, he's you, a criminologist. It's just, no, it's, it's just it's you, murder you, and crashes and, and, and sorrow and sadness. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful.、Yeah. And and my my dad always used to say, you know, you know what I do. It's not. It's not. All I do is I make sure people can go where they need to go.、Yeah. And that's one of the greatest things you can do to another person, like helping them actually get、oh, to where、wow. they need to go. Yeah, what a metaphor! Helping、yeah. them to understand things and helping them solve what they need to in order to、yeah. to to move to the next step. Do you have a quick question for you? Yes, I do.、Uh, mine would be, what would you say? I know that you mentioned one earlier, but I would like to know specifically a must-read novel in your mind. That is not the one that we just said, but something that you would suggest to our readers, whether it's a must-read crime novel based in Sweden that helps people understand a little bit more about the Swedish attitude toward true crime or toward、uh, crime fiction. Something that you feel is Really important for our listeners to look into. That was a long. That was、question. a long question. Okay, <laughs> let me say it quicker then. <laughs> Recommend a must-read crime novel.、Uh, Blackwater by Shastin Ekman. Okay.、Mm. Yeah, we won't elaborate on that one. That's for you guys to go and read. That's that's one of the that's one of the greatest crime novels ever written. Period. Good to know. Yeah. And besides the murder of Olaf Palme, which crime that is committed in Sweden is most well known in the world? Oh, most well known in the world. Oh, that's a good question, and the hard question. Yeah, obviously, I don't have the data on that, so I can't tell. <laughs> no? okay. I can't. I can't. What、say. would you say is though? Though is one that, that、yeah. really exemplifies. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would say.、Mm, well, there are. I mean, there are a few. The, the, the singer, as we have a singer, Julius, a singer. <laughs> Do you know the opera singer we had that was super famous,、uh, Christina Lee? Well, let's check that up because when she had the concert. People like pushed towards the the front, the podium. Oh, and people, people hundreds、died? of people died.、Oh、yeah. My God. Oh, that's horrible. When? When, when was this? Eighteen hundred, blah blah blah. Oh, it's in the eighteen、oh、hundred. Yeah. Okay,、so、it was before they had like、um, cell phones. S- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they couldn't. <laughs> they could save sound. See the Snapchat of it. They had to go see for themselves.、Yeah. I'm sorry. That was sorry. No, well, like we said, we're 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 taking away a bit of the the、yeah. lev the we're making we're adding a bit of levity to the,、yeah. the subject. Yeah,、uh, wow. but let's see. So, well, the most famous case, well,、um, Estonia maybe is not a crime, well, or is it? No, but if if you look at trauma, like、mm-hmm. national trauma,、mm-hmm. of course, yeah. That, then the I mean, Estonia would be it.、Uh, mm-hmm. The Estonia, the sinking of of Estonia. Yeah, that would be that would be one. But then you also have like the tsunami. In in Thailand, that doesn't take place in Sweden, but it, no, but、uh, it affected some of Swedes because that's where Swiss, yeah. yeah, that's where many go to 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 the, on vacation. Like I had friends who were actually there. Julia, before we say bye bye to Christopher, we have some little moment here. Which is that? Yes, we have a little Easter egg that we want to tease. So, with each of our guests, we try to keep a little bit of an Easter egg. We get them to give us a little. A little something for our Instagram for our, our listeners to go and investigate. Christopher, what do you have for us? Yeah, what do you have for us? Just so, tease it a bit. Should I tease you? Okay, yeah. So, so, so let's see if you can get this one. So it, it's Nordic. It's black. <laughs> it's strong, but it's not coffee. 
and there's five of them. Five of them? Wow. What a mystery fox. Not coffee. Wow. But truly, if you want to know what that is, we will have it up on our Instagram after this episode airs. So, yes. Take a look. Take a look. Yes. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us. See you. So, Julia. What about the Stockholm Syndrome? What did you learn? Well, I learned that it's a little bit more than Beauty and the Beast, but just a little. And I also learned that there is there are so many layers to it. We can have a bit of levity when we talk about it. Obviously, there's the joke that it's romanticized and making jokes about where we see it in popular culture, but also... Uh, that there are so many layers to it and there are so many ways to approach it. And what I think is very interesting about his work is that he does approach it in so many different ways. And I also am now even more excited to be a part of this city's exciting history of mental illness formed under duress. So sounds fun for me. (laughs) Welcome to Stockholm. (laughs) Oh, I feel so welcome. But what about you? What do you feel? What have you learned? I learned that he can really make a package of Sweden outside Stockholm and make it interesting as a more like not in the crime way but also in the sociological way how people behave and interact yeah outside in the countryside in small cities in Sweden that, yeah. I loved him I know he was great yeah. that was really fun and I think it's it's interesting to know too about what that does to the mentality of, of crime and, and what it is I can't wait to dig deeper into that really fun uh, yeah and the listeners you should read his books yes please do yeah. the latest one is Blaze Me a Sun and it's fantastic so it please is. do folks so and we will say bye bye from this podcast episode and what kind of podcast is it well it is a or... podcast that is brought to you by <laughs> Stockholm Dual Career Network and Stockholm's Academiska Forum and of course us two crazies <laughs> <laughs> of course you bye bye Pussycrum hey do hey, do. 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 Hey, do